past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. And today we are bringing you another great topic for your career development, talking about women and gender issues in the workplace. And I'm excited to have today with us April, and April is an author, very interesting, April Young Bennett, author of A Suffragist, Ask a Suffragist, Stories and Wisdom from America's First Feminists. And April, I'm so glad that you've joined us here today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and when you when I saw your topic, I was very intrigued because, of course, this gender issue, gender equality, the Me Too movement very big topic today in the career world, not just for women, but also for men who are managers or leaders and want to make sure that they're having the conversation in a helpful way and that they're doing what they can to advance the careers of women. And this issue, of course, isn't a new issue. It's something that people have been talking about for many, many years. And that's where your story starts. So tell us a little bit about your book and what you learned about these early first feminists. My book is called Ask a Suffragist. And the reason it's called that is because it's basically based on things that I, as a modern woman, a modern career woman, a modern activist, would want to ask those people who came before me. If I could actually pick their brains and say, okay, we're dealing with these struggles today. What are some things that you've already figured out that I could learn from? And one of those issues that they were struggling with at that time were career issues. There were so many careers at the time that women were barred from, that women just couldn't get their foot in the door, that they were blocked from having education. And they did a lot of wonderful work that we benefit from today that helped us to get our foot in the door in ways that they couldn't get. Yeah, and they've already done a lot of the work and they struggled with some of these same issues. Um, And sometimes we forget that, right? We think that we're the first ones that are, are struggling with this. And of course, the issues today are different, but they learned so many lessons already. Right. Yeah, there's so many things that really relate to me today, I think, compared to what was happening back then. I think a lot of times we think because our technology is so different and we've come such a long way that we don't need to worry about the strategies people already figured out. But so many of the things are still the same. We still have to find allies. We still have to develop relationships. We still have to make our case for why we should be promoted, why our cause should be considered. And these are things that people have been working on for a long time, and there's really a lot we can learn from these women who came before us. So what are some of the top lessons that you gleaned from studying this history? One is that you need to be persistent. It's going to take a while. When I look at Susan B. Anthony was one of the first people to start thinking about the wage gap. And at that time, it was more of a wage gorge. It was just insane how little women were making in comparison to men. And so she decided to start within her own profession. She was an educator. So she went into her own teachers association and started to bring this up regularly at their annual meetings. And it got to the point where they were so sick of it. <laughs> After a few years, they were saying, can we please just have one meeting without talking about women's rights? And she just didn't let go. She kept going. She was persistent. And eventually, after just hearing her arguments repeated over and over again, things started to change. And they started to include women in their leadership. And it really made a difference for women in her profession. Yeah, Another that persistence. Right. Another thing I think they teach us is to you've got to be able to withstand rejections. You've got to almost welcome rejections. You've got to put yourself out there in many ways because all you need sometimes is that one yes. And if you ask many, many times, you might get many, many no's, but it increases your chance of getting that one yes. And so that's something that I think that Elizabeth Blackwell did really well. She was the first woman to graduate from medical school in America. And she wasn't the first woman to apply. There were other women, such as Harriet Hunt, who had applied. But Harriet Hunt only applied to Harvard Medical. And when they refused her, she kind of stopped there. Now, she didn't stop there as an activist or as 
a supporter of women. She did many other things, but she didn't keep trying to find ways to get into medical school. Elizabeth Blackwell applied to so many schools over and over and over again. And when her first her first options didn't pan out, she tried something else, and she tried something else, and she tried something else until eventually she got that one yes she needed. Yeah, so trying the different avenues and making, not just being persistent, but not getting um, turned off by that rejection. Right. You've just got to keep going. And another thing I really like about these women is they paid it forward. Once they did accomplish some of their goals, they really did work to support other women. Elizabeth Blackwell, after she became a doctor, she started looking around her and saying, okay, now more women like me are able to get into medical school because I've proved that it can be done, but who's going to hire them? That was still a problem. And so she set up a hospital where she, with the intention of hiring women so that women would have a place to work. Harriet Hunt also, although she didn't get into that medical school that she wanted to get into, she continued working as a medical doctor And she became an activist and started working for other women to have the opportunity to attend medical school and not to come across as much of the discrimination as she had. And she also set up a fund to fund the education, the student loans, of other women who wanted to go to medical school. Wow. And that just is, you know, an important point, not just to pay it forward, but that the steps need to be paved further through. So I work with an organization that is a return to work after being incarcerated, and they had set up for women to go and get their CDL drivers licenses and learn how to operate backhoes. So they went through this whole program, they got trained, they were learning how to operate equipment of some kind, and then they couldn't get jobs. And like you said, it's that next step. Sure, you can go into medical school and you can become a doctor, but if no one's going to hire you, it's almost sometimes worse. You've wasted the time and money now, and then you can't get hired. And got to see the problem all the way through to the end in terms of not just paving part of the way, but helping to pave more of the way. Right. You just have to keep going. Another thing like that these women did is if they couldn't get their foot in the door in these male organizations, they often started their own. One of my heroes is Marianne Shad. She was the first black woman in North America to start her own newspaper. And the reason that she did that was because she didn't like the coverage she was reading in these newspapers that were operated by men. She, she was an activist, and she didn't like how they were covering stories about her activism. And she became so frustrated with that, and she was trying to send in articles and get people to look at things from her perspective. And finally, she thought, I don't need this. I don't need to depend on, on these men who aren't willing to share my story in my way. And she started her own newspaper and started sharing stories in her own way from her own perspective. They're so inspiring. And it um, you think about all of the things that they had to overcome. Of course, it doesn't you know, make any less what we're overcoming today, but it's so inspiring to hear about what these women were, were doing. And you mentioned at the very beginning this idea about relationships and finding sponsors. What can we take from lessons you read about that? They really did depend on allies in many cases. One of the people that I think is a really good example of this is Marie Zekszewska. And she was a German immigrant to the United States. And she worked with so many people who paved the way for her. One of those was back when she was in Germany, there was a man named Joseph Hermann Schmidt. And he was a male women's rights activist. He really cared about women's rights. He was also a teacher at the School of Midwifery in Berlin. And it was his dream that he would be replaced by a woman. And so he intentionally looked for a woman who had that kind of talent, and he saw that in Marie Bichesk. And he took her under his wing, and he helped her to climb through the ranks of school. He helped her to get into school in the first place. They didn't want to admit her because she was a young single woman. And they said, young single men are fine, but we don't want single women around here. That'll just make everyone float. And so he, he actually went out of his way, he even talked to the king, the king of Prussia at the time, to get her into school. And then he helped her through that entire process and eventually got her instated as his replacement when he went to retire. And so it was because of that mentorship that she got started off in the first place. Unfortunately, 
not long after she began working in Berlin, he died, and there weren't very many other allies out there. And he decided to try America and see if, in this land of freedom, if she would have more luck. She got America, and she found it wasn't as great as she had hoped, that female doctors really did face a lot of discrimination, and she found tr- had trouble finding work until she met Harriet Hunt and Elizabeth Blackwell, who were already in America, already working in the field, already helping other women. And with these female mentors she found in America, she was able to get her foot in the door here. So that sounds maybe somewhat similar to someone might experience. They go to a company that says, oh, they have these great diversity programs or, you know, what have you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be better for us, right? It, it They're still going to have to work the specific allies and get specific people to help us achieve goals, even in an organization that might espouse itself as better for women. Right. You need to look around and see who can help you, and you need to think broadly. You need to, maybe the first people that you talk to won't be very supportive, but keep looking. So when we think about these examples and these wonderful stories that you found of women so inspiring and, and doing what they needed to do to make their way, Any other advice you think they would give women today about, you know, kind of breaking that glass ceiling? I think they would tell us that you need to support each other, that we're all in this together. I think they would also tell us that you might have to think about your plan B because your first plan might not always pan out. One thing about Marie Zakshevska, when she started working with Elizabeth Blackwell, Elizabeth Blackwell had this dream to start a hospital where women could work as doctors. And it was a wonderful idea, and she was really helping other women, but she simply didn't have the funding to do it. And as hard as they tried, they could not get enough money. And Marie Zakshevska, she finally came to Elizabeth with a plan and said, you know, at the rate we're going, we may never open this hospital, but I've been thinking about it, and I think that we could start a smaller clinic with this many beds. She actually had written out all the numbers. She even counted how many forks and spoons they would need. She had everything counted out, and she came up with a very clear plan. She said, I think that we could start a smaller clinic within a year, and then we could eventually expand it to make it the hospital you're dreaming of. And that way, we could actually get to work now, and we wouldn't have to keep waiting. And that is what they ended up doing, and I'm so glad they did, because eventually they did get the hospital, but by starting small, they were able to eventually work up to what they wanted, whereas... With their plan A, they may never have gotten there in the first place. Yeah, very interesting. Well, on that very good story, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll dive into other lessons that you've learned from these early suffragists. We'll be back in just a few minutes. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. You hear about it all the time. 
compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're excited to have April Young Bennett on the show. And she's been talking to us about the lessons she's learned reading through some of the stories of the original and older suffragists. And we were just talking about a story, April, of these women who wanted to open a hospital for women to have a place to work as as doctors, some of the first women, and that they realized that they couldn't do this big audacious goal of opening a hospital, but that they could have this goal of opening a clinic and then growing it. And as you're telling the story, I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes when we can't do our big, hairy, audacious goal, we lose steam and we don't think about the steps that could get us there. Or, you know, if we took this first step, it may not be as grand, but it would get us on the direction, on the path that we want to go. And, as women, we may see this as a downfall, right? It, I, if we can't get everything, it means that we're not getting what we need. But they didn't see it that way, and they took this small step. And then I'm guessing, tell us the rest of the story. How did this turn out? And we were able to serve a lot more people. It eventually did become the hospital they wanted it to. It also became a school where they helped to educate more women to become doctors. So it was a wonderful oh. project. Yeah, and maybe some outcomes that they didn't even expect that were excellent. So when we think about these great accomplishments that they were achieving, I'm guessing that they also still had families at home. So what did you read and what lessons did you glean about how they managed their work-life balance, if you will? This was a really difficult time to be a woman who worked just because they didn't have the modern conveniences that we have today. And it, and it was the expectations that women were in charge of everything in the home. And so there was a lot that they had to do. One thing they did was supported each other. When you hear about the friendship of Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony worked so hard to keep Elizabeth Cady Stanton involved. Elizabeth Cady Stanton had seven children. And so... She was very busy at home, and her husband was not terribly helpful, unfortunately. And so Susan went out of her way to make sure that Elizabeth Stanton was involved. She would help her with research. She would help her to schedule things and plan things. And sometimes she would even go to her house and hold the baby so Elizabeth could sit down and work. And so they supported each other to make sure that they could all stay involved in ways they needed to. Another thing that would help and would have helped Elizabeth if only she had had a more supportive partner is actually finding someone who understands and who supports. And that was really the trick for Lucy Stone, another activist of the time, is that she didn't want to marry at all until after she met Henry B. Blackwell. And he was as passionate about women's rights as she was. And they eventually married and they actually made their wedding a protest of marriage laws that were not fair to women. And they spent the rest of their lives working together towards women's rights. And so finding someone who really supports you helps. Now, when I say that, I should say that oftentimes in our modern era, when we find someone who supports women's rights and who wants to be an equal partner at home, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were raised to notice all the work that needs to be done. Unfortunately, we still live in a time where many men were raised 
with the assumption that women would be in charge of the household. And they may not even notice all the emotional labor that needs to be done, and they may expect their wives to delegate to that. And so these are conversations you have to keep having over time. This is I'm observing about how we're dividing up the work, about how who needs to notice things and delegate them, and how can we be more proactive about being equal partners here. Oh, yes, such a challenging conversation, no matter what... Um what the partnership is, right? We, we, whether it's at work or at home, always having that conversation about um, what makes sense for each person to do and how that's going to get done. What I'm hearing from you too is this idea, and I don't know if you hear this, but from modern women, oftentimes I hear that kind of idea of you're not doing it right if you need help. And that I don't know where we got that because from what I can read, women have been helping each other breastfeed, clean the houses, take care of kids since the beginning of time. And we often fall into this um, false thinking that we have to do it ourselves. Absolutely. And part of the reason why men have done so well in the workplace for so long is because often they have a woman at home who is taking care of a lot of the loose ends in their household. <laughs> and so men aren't doing it alone either. <laughs> we just, so we all need each other and we all need to work together more in the household. I think another thing to remember is that sometimes it's not all about our own household. Sometimes we really need to support family-friendly workplace policies just to make things better for everyone. One of the things that I look back on is there were two great activists who were sisters, Angelina and Sarah Grimke. And when Angelina got married and started having children, she started having some gynecological problems. She really needed health care. At the same time, Sarah started having some mental illness problems, some depression, and neither of them had access to health care. And that effectively ended their career, at least during Angelina's childbearing years, until the children were older. And that's something that's still a problem today. If women don't have access to health care, to child care, to those things that they need in order to be productive in the workplace, it doesn't matter how supportive their friends and their husband are. So these are things we really need to support. Right. That, and for everyone to have access to health care and, and child care and mental health and to be aware of the mental health problems, I think we're seeing that, especially in the female world right now when you're thinking about depression and all of the pressures that we're all under, you have to have access to that care because your partner is not going to be able to fill that need for you. That's right. So it's not always about what's going on in your particular household. Sometimes we have to think bigger right. think about our entire society and if our society is serving families in the way it should. And that is serving families, as you've said, not just serving women, because, of course, men need and benefit from these same services um, to, because they want to spend more time with the family. And that's one of the things I think we're missing, perhaps, in this movement today is that men also want more opportunity to participate in family than they ever have in the past. That's right. Yeah, I think that we're finally getting to a point where more men are interested in being really involved at home, which is great, which is wonderful, I think, which is what we need. Sometimes I think people talk about work-life balance as a woman's issue, and so only women should be thinking about this, which isn't true at all. And then other times I think they talk about it sort of like, why are women still talking about work, work-life balance? Men don't talk about that, so we shouldn't either. I don't think that's the case. I think men should also be thinking about work-life balance. I think it's important for all of us. Right, and their opportunity to choose, and as you've said, they have more interest and they're starting to realize that they've been missing out and maybe they don't want to be missing out on that um, as much. So how can people, if you had two or three takeaways from your reading, as a woman in the workplace, what do you think we can take away from these lessons? I think one of the biggest lessons is that we need to pay it forward. Whatever privilege we do gain over time, I think we need to share that. I think men also or particularly have a responsibility if they're in a place of privilege. There are still many cases where you look at workplaces and all the people in upper levels, management are men. 
And so those people in particular, they're in a place of power where they can make a difference and they need to use their privilege to pay it forward and to help more women and men to be able to climb the ranks. I think we also can think about how we can support each other, not only in what we do individually as friends, as family of different people, but also as co-workers of different people. But also, what kind of policies can we support to make things better for everyone? Good. So it's a bigger issue. It's something that we can all be active, not only in our families, but in our communities to get this gender equality, not just for the benefit of women, but for the benefit of men as well. And how can people learn more about you, get your book? My book is Ask a Suffragist, Stories and Wisdom from America's First Feminist. And you can find that wherever good books are sold. If you go to my website, askasuffragist.com, you can link from there to find it on Amazon or your local bookstore. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, April. It was lovely to hear these stories and learn more about those early suffragists. And I look forward to um, staying connected with you and learning more. And if you're listening here to The Career Confidant, we're going to say goodbye to April. But I'll be back here on The Career Confidant for our next section where we'll kind of dive deeper and pick apart some of the other lessons we can take from this. So thank you so much, April, and we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with April Young Bennett, and she is a women's activist and a studier of of history, which is fun, to look at those lessons that suffragists learned many, many years ago, and how can we apply those today in the light of the Me Too movement and so many other things that are happening as we try to get gender equality um, around the world. And really, these have become issues that people are talking about all across the world in terms of gender equity, and not just gender equity in terms of women getting equal pay. I think the state of California just passed a law that you can't have an all-male board. I haven't dug any deeper into that yet. But there's all these conversations going on around equal rights for women. But when I talk to men, I hear some of the same similar things that they would like to talk about work-life balance, They'd like to not have, you know, the other kind of the other side of the coin, if you will, uh, the pressures and not supposed to be worried about the home, et cetera. 
just as we as women are, are trying to take some of the home off so that we might be more at work or whatever that looks like for each individual. And as April was talking about these women and really the challenges that they faced and and the differences that they made were not just for them and their families and themselves, but then moved outward, moved to the systemics level where they could push for women's rights to to take it to the next step, to pay it forward, as she said, and pave the way for women that might come after them. When I talk to women who are struggling and trying to figure out how to make things work, really, April's covered some of the, the issues. In facing that glass ceiling, it's less defined today than it used to be. And you may walk into an organization where they tout that they are progressive with women or that they are diversity or that they have equity, and yet you find that that's not always the case or that it doesn't make it necessarily easy for you individually. And what do you do to first of achieve your goals because you got to do it for yourself before you can pave the way for others. And then how can you pay it forward and, and make those systemic or societal changes? First, of course, we got to get into a position of power of some kind. And power isn't always hierarchical, although in organizations it may be. You also have power that is relational. This is the biggest challenge when you think about breaking into a group for whatever reason that you're not part of the group and you know the old cliche of good old boys network so it makes it so challenging for women to break into different elements of the workplace Maybe it's getting into leadership in a company that has the good old boys network maybe it's breaking into an entrepreneurial role If you're starting a consultancy and noticing that, hey, most of the consultants in my area are men and maybe specifically older white men, how are you going to break into that? How are you going to get what you need and get where you want to go? Some of the lessons that April was talking about is she talked about persistence. She talked about kind of expecting rejection And then one of the other pieces that she talked about was this allies or sponsors idea, really getting people who can make those introductions for you. Went to a presentation where a woman was talking about this idea of sponsors and helping people make changes. And the first question that she asked in the presentation was, among your five closest friends, are they all like you? So when you think about your five closest friends, are they all like you? Same age, same gender, same race. And she asked if people in the room would raise their hand if that was true. And I found myself not raising my hand because I've had the very good opportunity to make solid connections with people who are different than me. And perhaps because I'm an entrepreneur, I don't, and because all the other people my age and and sex are in the same position I'm in where they have kids and don't get to hang out that often. Maybe a few of my close friends are my same age women with kids. And then others are people at my Rotary Club who are 30, probably 30 some years older than me and professors that I've got the opportunity to stay in contact with after school and become sort of equal in terms of colleague relationship. But most of us don't have that opportunity, especially if we're in a workplace where our friends, our work friends, tend to be those at our same level who then by default are probably our same age or around there, and maybe even our same gender, depending on the type of work that we do. 
this can be a detriment for us because if you want to have a sponsor or an ally, having someone that is your that's in your same role power-wise isn't very helpful. So how do you break that cycle? How do you build a relationship for yourself to have a sponsor or an ally who is in a different group, who could be in that in crowd, if you will, that can help you move into a place that you want to go? Getting outside of your role, getting outside of your everyday can be a good way to do this. Volunteering for a project where you might get to work alongside people like that. For me, Rotary was a great way to make those relationships and really build those cross-generational relationships. Since I'm an entrepreneur, it was even better to be able to connect with some entrepreneurs who had kind of been there and done that and helped me pave the way moving forward. But what does that look like for you and your life? People might call them mentors and you can have a mentor and that could be that relationship where it would then develop into someone who could sponsor you, which means speak out on your behalf to achieve what you want to achieve. You want to choose those mentors carefully someone who can be a relationship, an advocate. And then sometimes a sponsor might be different, might not be someone that you necessarily go to for mentoring, but someone who is able to advocate for you and move you forward to that next step. And you never know where those relationships might come from, but the first place might be to think about how could you relationships of diversity in terms of age, gender, and especially thinking about who can be helpful to you along the way and how can you find opportunities to connect with those people, which sounds very one-way um, value, but it doesn't have to be. It can be an opportunity for you to build a real relationship. It's just thinking ahead about where those relationships are and how you might meet some people that you would want to build real relationships with, but that are also strategic. As as April was telling her stories, she was talking about these women who would really be looking for allies and find allies in other women who had achieved what they wanted to achieve. Sometimes you might be able to find other people that kind of look like you that have achieved what you want to achieve. And sometimes you might have to cross those gender, race, age barriers to build those relationships with people who have been where you want to go. The most, the the best thing is that most of the time those people regardless of if they're the same age, gender, or race, want to help others, want to help others get where they've gone, where they've been, get where they are. And when you find those folks, those are your gems. Those are your sponsors. Those are your allies. And those relationships, so important for each of us. And as we think about these stories and how inspiring they are and what these individuals had to overcome to get where they are, I realize that that's part of the journey. No one gets where they want to go easily. And oftentimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that that's true. And even the men in our lives or, you know, whatever it might be, that group that for you seems like they've always gotten where they wanted to go. That's not true. They've had, struggles, they've had sacrifices that maybe we don't even see our sacrifices for them. They've had struggles and of course they've had people that have helped them along the way. It's up to us to find those opportunities for ourselves and to find those people who can help us along our way and to realize that the struggles that we might be going through are not our struggles alone, but struggles that everyone has to go through to achieve what they want to achieve. 
Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you six things that you can do today to better the gender role division at your workplace, whether you're a female or male, if you're in a leadership position, what can you do to make this gender conversation more open at your workplace and to be a better leader, manager, or employee despite of it. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. Today we've been talking about gender inequality. And this really is an issue that male, female gender fluid leaders, employees all need to understand and think about as they act throughout their workday so that we can all be better leaders, be better employees, be better teammates. We've seen so many things come out in the past year or two along with this Me Too movement of Men who maybe we didn't expect that did things, said things that were felt to be inappropriate. And there's so much that goes into that conversation. Um, you know, was it inappropriate? What? Who gets to decide that, et cetera? And when we get too caught up in the details of those conversations, we get defensive, we get um, overly acquiesced. Acqu- accusational, really doesn't help anyone. So my first thought here for you to be gender wise in the workplace is avoid talking about the politicized and Hollywoodized examples, right? Joe Biden, Bill Crosby, Getting into those conversations with people doesn't have very much to do with you, your life, your workplace, your relationship with the people at your work. And we don't know the full stories. 
it just it gets into a he said, she said, I think you think that really doesn't help anyone. So I would avoid those conversations in your office place. Picking apart those situations is really not going to help you have a better conversation with your team, with your managers. It's just going to make people feel awkward. I've never seen those conversations go very well. Second, and April talked about this a little bit, is to acknowledge your power. So everyone has some kind of positional power. Acknowledge yours. Acknowledging and understanding your privilege doesn't mean that you didn't suffer, doesn't mean that you haven't deserved to be where you are. It's simply that you acknowledge that you have privilege where you sit today and what you want to do with that privilege. Avoid comparison. So we're not worried about what you deserve versus what someone else deserves. It's not about comparison, you versus them. Someone said it's not about a pie, right? That if so, if you give some to someone else, you're going to get less. That's not what it's about. So avoid those comparisons. Everybody can have rights. Everyone can be equal in the humanistic sense that we all deserve to be treated like people and to feel like we're being treated like people, which leads me to my next point, which is act according to the grandma rule. Treat people around you the way that they would like to be treated if you can, or the way you would like to be treated if that's what you know. So ask what they need, ask how you can help, ask lots of questions, and then treat people in a respectful manner. Even when I taught classes at the jail, we would always talk about that. You know, what do you do when you go to your grandma's house? Um, it doesn't feel like you're being inauthentic when you think about it that way. Whereas for these gentlemen was the group I worked with. They felt like, oh, I'm changing myself to go to the workplace. It's like, well, you change yourself and you go to your grandma's house too, right? Because you want to be respectful. That's what we're talking about here, that you've got that respect. And then the next level of that, of course, is that you ask people what their experience is and you don't argue with their experience. You don't know their experience better than them. So it's nothing worse than asking someone how they feel and they say they feel like they're being ostracized or oppressed and you say you shouldn't feel like that, that no, you honor their experience. And then you're really trying to actively seek out diversity in your relationships, in your world, in your work, because you know the benefit that it adds to your life to have a diverse group of people that you learn from. When everyone around you is the same as you, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much and you don't even know, you have so many more blind spots because you don't even know what you're not seeing. So go out and seek out some diversity in the groups that you hang out with. Find places where you can hang out with people who look different than you, where they're older, younger, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different genders. If you look around you and you see everyone looks pretty much the same, there's a chance that you're offending other people, not because you mean to, but because you just don't have anyone around you to say, hmm, that's not my experience. And then assume positive intent. And this goes for all of us on all sides of this issue to assume that positive intent. This doesn't mean that we don't voice when something is uncomfortable for us, but that we don't automatically go to a place where it's ill intent. How can you assume positive intent when you're talking to people to call them on it when what they're doing isn't respectful, but do it in a way that invites conversation, that helps people learn and grow and where you get to share and learn from each other and have an open conversation about these things. Not always maybe appropriate, but can we start there where we assume that positive intent? So again, we want to acknowledge our power, avoid comparison, 
ask questions and really understand how people want to be treated. Start from that place of acting with respect. Actively seek out diversity in our relationships, in our work, in our world, so that we have some other inputs coming in on our behavior and our beliefs. We have that opportunity to question our beliefs, to talk through them with other people, and then to assume that uh, positive intent. As we're having those difficult conversations, they are going to be difficult conversations. So how can we assume that a positive intent from the beginning so that we really have an opportunity to have the conversations? Because when we're too defensive from the beginning, it makes it really challenging to have those conversations. I don't think gender inequality, racial inequality, and today in some things I read, there's maybe even age inequality in both directions in different ways. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. There's always going to be challenges between these types of groups. And we can remember that, of course, we have more in common than we have different with these groups. But it doesn't mean that we want to say, oh, I don't see color, or I don't see age. We want to appreciate pre- people's differences, acknowledge them, and have these, these conversations because they really help us all learn. They bring us closer. They make us better leaders. And they help us open everyone's eyes to inequality and the ways that we can influence our social structures to reduce it. I hope that you'll join us here again for the Career Confident next week. We will have more guests coming on the show and we look forward to your ideas of guests and questions so that we can continue what you need to take control of your career and to be successful as you move forward in your career. We'll be right back here again next week. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then. 